Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we're going to be talking about practical of specificity. This one's a really important topic because when we look at our philosophy, our ethos, it's going to have a direct impact on how we design our weight rooms and how we organize the weight rooms. And what it's going to look at is going to create a stereotype or some sort of perception off of who we are and what we do. Not really ever going to fight that or change that, but what can we do to influence our environment based off of our setups or maybe equipment that we have or don't have to best serve our athletes? This is a really fun topic. I hope you guys enjoy this one because this one is really a passion of mine because I've designed a lot of weight rooms and I think it's a really important skill to have. If you haven't checked out phpodcast.com, we have our book available, Strength Deficit. This is leveraging eccentric versus concentric ratios. It's your go-to resource for that. We have a course available that ties into that, the practical version of Strength Deficit. This is your companion guide. This is how you're going to be able to apply strength deficit within your setting. Both resources are amazing. Highly recommend them because they're going to help you as a coach. We have our PH curriculum, over 50 modules broken up into four sections, principles, practical, case study, and interview with the strength coach. This is a great resource, an advanced strength conditioning curriculum, models-based learning that you're going to become better at being a coach through having access to all these amazing modules and resources right now. Not only that, you enter a community or be able to ask questions and communicate with other coaches on our forums. It's a great resource. I highly recommend you get it. It's only gonna make these podcasts that much more meaningful. Lastly, realize.me, your command center for all health and wellness performance. It's a dashboard. It's a place to collect all your information, sequester labs, get discounts on supplements, but more importantly, it's to be able to check whether the, your work is quality or not. When I'm looking at my interventions for myself or my clients or athletes, I want to know if what I'm doing is actually working. And I can see that very transparently on Realize. This is an amazing, amazing platform for any coach out there. I highly recommend you get on it because I think it's going to bring a tremendous amount of value. All right, guys, let's get over into our practical section of specificity. I think this is one you're going to really enjoy. I really appreciate you guys being aboard for all this stuff, and we're going to uh, keep pumping them out and keep getting great content for you guys to you know dive into and make yourself a great coach. Here we go. So we're going to go into the practical aspect of specificity. For me, this is a really fun and interesting topic and when you're looking at the module i went really deep into weight room design more from a theoretical perspective but when we look at specificity and we talk about what we did in principles and trying to reverse engineer knowing that it won't be the sum of its parts some sort of athlete that is capable more so specific to their sport than they would if they trained somewhere else or not trained at all. And we talked about in that, you know, either we're taking this like very like GPP, I'm going to prepare specifically for the injuries or the biomodability or the biomechanics or the, or even the bioenergetics, or I'm going to take this very like technical specific performance and have a lot of specialty exercises and a lot of things that are very mimicking to what they're doing in their sport. Now, all that is a really high level discussion, right? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of things associated with that. And 
you you tell me a strength coach that does only basketball specific stuff. I'm gonna tell you that's a basketball coach who said, "Hey, that's a pretty good way to get into strength into the world of basketball through strength and conditioning." In my mind, at least that's what I perceive it to be. That's my bias, right? Oh man, only thing we do is basketball specific work. Did you want to be a basketball coach and then you found it's probably easier to get into a division one or professional level by being a strength and conditioning coach? That's what I perceive it to be. And you're going to tell me that you talk basketball more better than, than I can. And that basketball coach, like, yeah, I just really resonate with that person. They don't know, don't, they don't know jack about training athletes and getting them physically prepared, but they know basketball, right? And, and how that manifests is potentially how they set up and organize their weight rooms versus a strength conditioning coach. And I think that's the breadcrumb trail that we need to start to unpack here in this practical. It's looking at it from your persona, your philosophy, your ethos, your your signature, so to speak, and how you go about this GPP SPP continuum and how you look at sports specificity and how you look at the bigger, larger picture of preparing your athletes. And you might look at a very general strength conditioning coach and I have this image in my mind that's like, I don't do sports specific. The only thing sports specific I do is 3X bodyweight squat. That's at least some of the argument you might get. That doesn't make sense. It's not coherent, but that's what it sounds like. But on both ends of the spectrum, there's going to be shortcomings and there's going to be areas that you can really accentuate. You could take completely down the road and say right down the middle and say, hey, I'm trying to be something for that sport that they need me to be within the skill set and the knowledge that I have or even the interest that I have. And as we start to break down these like archetypes, like extreme sports specific, extreme GPP, middle of the road kind of hybrid willing to meet that gap, maybe played high level sports, maybe appreciate the fact that at a certain point there's a diminishing returns effect from just only strength training. We need something practical. Hence why we have a practical section in this area. And we can start to break down this bigger overall, you know, thought process. So this one's gonna be very much about weight room design in a in a in a very like general, uh, I guess topical kind of way where we can get, you know, this thought process of what is specificity and how can I tell, right? Like, how can I tell how much you believe in sports specificity or not? And how do we circumvent that and prevent maybe a, a friction point or a area where you're going to be very, very much so inadequate for developing athletes at a high level? So starting with the weight room, you know, and I think it starts with this idea of you have – you have football developed weight rooms or Olympic sport developed weight rooms or even a lot of times now basketball developed weight rooms, right? And that's and that's the center, right? That's the that's the sun and that's the orbital system around it. Right. So if I go to a football complex, you got your locker room, usually adjacent to a training room, usually adjacent to a equipment room, more times than not, adjacent to a weight room. And you have these like circling entities around this locker room. 
Maybe above that's a study hall, maybe above that's meeting rooms, maybe above that's coach's office. All that. Basketball-wise, a fractal version of that. Just bring it down to a smaller version of that. Smaller locker room, smaller equipment room, smaller training room, smaller weight room, smaller meeting rooms, smaller coach's office. All of that considered. Then you look at Olympic sports, probably shares weight room football. Just try to get what they can get. And you look at how that's set up, and you can look at the, the philosophy within that. I can tell you a training room's philosophy by seeing how many stims and how many ultrasound machines they have. I really can. If you see a lot of like these, these lines coming out of a center point, you know, maybe they're more functional. Maybe they're like, oh wow, okay, they get a little outside the, the box in terms of the rehab. You know, if they see a lot of uh, a lot of therabands, a lot of things out there to like either concentrically rehab something. Yeah, I, I could probably get a good sense of who they are and what they do and what camp they're in. And if I can do that with a training room, what do you think they can do with a weight room? And what associations will they have with you, trainer to you? If they just see a bunch of monoliths, if you're not familiar with the model lift, it's essentially a squat rack that releases the J hooks as you pull the bar out so you don't need to step backwards. So you stand up, J hook moves out of the way, and then you can just go right into squatting. They see a lot of squat boxes. Hell, if they see a lot of deadlift sand stands or maybe even like wide fat back benches, they're probably gonna come to some sort of notion that this person is a really big power lifter. If I just see a bunch of squat stands and and Olympic li- Olympic bars and Olympic uh, bumper plates and then maybe a bunch of like weightlifting shoes around, probably like, okay, this person's a very big so much of the camp of weightlifting. If you see a bunch of machines, if you see a bunch of isolated muscle action based machines, they're probably like, okay, this person has a very strong influence from bodybuilding. Or maybe they're hit. And you can create this association. Your stereotype is built off of that. It is what it is. I, more times than not, you probably inherited a lot of this stuff or you can't get rid of it. I get it. I get that aspect too. But you're going to have some sort of stereotype, just like I stereotyped a training room. They very likely could have inherited all these ultrasound and stim machines. They could have. Or maybe they didn't. And maybe they genuinely believe that's what they do. And I'm not questioning that. I'm just saying that's the association of like, okay, this is like a shitty PT that's basically going to put on my table and just say, don't bother me until your stim machine's done. And I think the same associations can be made with this person's going to be really confrontational. When they're, they're walking around with a distended abdomen, sucking down a monster energy drink, bald head, goatee, or beard, yeah, I'm going to have a pretense of what that person's going to be like to work with. I'm just saying it. I, I, I think there's an element that we shouldn't be surprised on when people typecast us. And we'll get where we want to get with this, but I'm just letting you guys know the way your room is designed and laid out screams about how much you either are a general or a specific coach. Where I think it gets a little bit more interesting 
is when you start to get into these Olympic sport weight rooms or the smaller weight rooms that are a little bit more customized to that sport's needs. Right? So you might go into like this thrower's dungeon and you might see a lot of, you know, puds or weirdly looking kettlebells and and smaller diameter uh, shot puts that they're using for instead of med balls. You might see a lot of jammer arm attachments. You might see a lot of maybe like racks set up for quarter squats, whatever have you. Maybe you go to a basketball weight room and you see a basketball that's attached to a pulley. Maybe you see it's open to the court. Maybe you see a lot of triplanar uh, stretching series like the the true stretch that has a big influence in the basketball world or the triplanar ankle mobility tool. Like You might see all these things in there. Those are great and they're awesome. And it's also going to leave a stereotype. It's going to leave some sort of, I know what they're about. I know who they are. Good or bad. Good or bad. You know, that, I think the thing that people miss, miss all the time is you're screaming who you are and what you do without saying a word. And when we look at your weight room, when we look at how it's designed, how it flows, how it's oriented, how it functions, and then we look at the equipment that you have, you can start to piece together what you can see that program to be, whether it's true or not. They're going to jump to that conclusion. Now, imagine from a recruiting perspective. Imagine from a from a interviewing a new coach, and then you're trying to keep your job perspective. Imagine all of that. And I think as we start to look at the this practical for sports specificity, I think we need to be honest with your philosophy is is how you conduct or built everything that you do. And when we look at it from, is there room to grow? Is there room for potential for getting outside of that, that small, small, seemingly limited perspective or not will determine whether you have this bandwidth to handle that conversation from the assistant coach of, Hey, I was wondering if we could do this closeout drill with our agility session tomorrow. Or man, can you work some sort of like back pedal within the defensive back somewhere in the training? I just feel like we need that extra reps in that. Or man, can you can you work in throwing throwing weighted weighted or weighted throw weighted throws with uh with these plyo balls? Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe you don't want to. Maybe you don't even have the ability to do it. These are all really foundation, fundamental things to figure out. And I would come back and say this, and I would really want you guys to think about this when you're looking at this from a sports-specific standpoint. And go back to principles. You're thinking about, where do I fall in that camp? Do I have the bandwidth to do that? Is it going to be better served that I just say, hey, I'm going to build in time within the workout for them to do their sports-specific skills on their own because they're more knowledgeable and competent in that than I am. That we're just practicing and repping at something and it doesn't necessarily need to be overly guided and instructed by me. I worked at Georgia Tech for four years and my first year there, our offensive line coach, was pretty adamant about getting him on this thing called the Austin leg drive. Anyone's coached before 2000, 
2005, let's just say, is familiar with what the Austin Light Drive, and I, I highly recommend you Google this thing. It is a absolute monster. I mean, it is 10 yards in length, and it is three or six yards in width, and it's taking a sled, going at a probably 10 to 15 degree angle, pushing it horizontally, almost like drive blocking. You can add weights on the back of it, so you know it makes it progressively harder as it's going up the slant, and it's heavy and blah, blah, blah. You get two people at a time, and you just get them three point down, set, go, and they just push the sled, and they just guide it back like an eccentric kick step. It is a offensive line coach's absolute like this is what we need, you know. And it's I'm I haven't I couldn't even tell you what it costs. Probably egregious, and it takes up a huge amount of space, and it's an embarrassment of riches for a lot of Division One programs to be able to get this in there. Um, and I see like. I see different things like people putting on pat like the um, basically the upper version of that on the uh, racks now. There's a lot of really cool things that you can do that doesn't take up as much space. But the point being is, I was responsible for taking the offensive line and getting a rep count on it. Right, so right hand three point stance, two reps. Left hand three point stance, two reps. Next week. We're going to do a little bit of a wrinkle, so step right, drive block, step left, drive block. Um, maybe we get crossover step, or I don't think we ever did that, but something where we had these like generic scripts that I'd have to work through. And I'd, I would be up there, and I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. Well, you guys do, right? Let me, get our, let me get our seniors up here. You step up, and we're going to go three-point stance, and I'll just say what we're doing, and you guys do it. And I would grab that beforehand. I'm like, I'm just letting you know, I'm just required to take you through this. I don't know anything about this. And I'm not going to sit there and claim I know more about this than you. If I say these drills, do you know what they are? And then are we going to be able to roll through this? And they'd be like, yeah, we got you. Like, we're good, man. Like, thank you for being honest and transparent that you don't know anything about this and trying to fake it. And maybe I showed weakness or maybe I showed incompetence. Or maybe I just said, like, you know what? Like, I'm not against doing this. I just don't know how to. Can I? Can you meet me in the middle? And I'll be there to support you, and I'll be there to help you in any way, shape, or form. I'll grab weights. I'll do whatever it is. I'll get the young guys going. I'll get lines formed. But from a context of, like, I, I don't know if they're in a good body angle. Shoot, I remember working with our volleyball coach at Springfield College in 2005, and we got to the point where we're talking about a libero stance. And he's like, how would you want this person in this stance? I was like, man, flatter back, knees out. He's like, yeah, we don't want that. We want knees in and rounded back. I was like, why? He's like, that's just what we found is the best position to react to the ball coming at them and, and be able to set set that play. I'm like, ah, it doesn't make sense to me. And he's like, yeah, I don't think, I can see why you say that, but I'm just telling you whether this is something we've always done or this is something we're always going to do based off people are just stuck on their ways. We want that position. I'm like, okay. Like, I, I just, yeah, I, I just don't know why. I don't know how that's more effective than a, a, more, a more biomechanically stable position with your knees directly over your ankles and then you're you're back in a more neutral position but 
I trust your judgment on this, and I know that you're trying not to look at this from a, I don't think it's going to hurt that perspective, but this is the best position for us to be able to move through. And I've learned a lot since then. Um, great book called Demasculization of Sport by Bud Turinga. Talking about getting into Valgus for female weightlifters is not the end of the world. It's a very elastic property of how can we overcome a vertically oriented force when we don't have the prerequisite machinery or contractile force generating ability to squat that up. You, you bounce out of the bottom, you collapse your knees, you round your back, and you just hopefully create enough momentum with elastic energy to get that overcome. Maybe that's the same logic there. Maybe it's not from a resiliency standpoint. Maybe it's just completely reactionary, like they're in a coiled position and they can move from that position more effectively. Who knows? Who knows? But I would say this. Let's say that hits some sort of some sort of vector where I had to start to replicate that action in the weight room. And he's like, I need this. I need absolutely need this. And I need to work on lateral first step. She's taking a lot of fall steps or plyo steps. Maybe I need to educate him on, on the orienting step called a plyo step. Maybe. Or maybe he's like, nope, it's a push. And I don't want any organizing or gathering steps because it's wasted motion. It's just for me, that's just a non-negotiable factor. So maybe I get her in this valgus position, rounded back with shoulder semi-shoulder flexion, like a ready for a set position. And I put a waist harness around her, I get her attached to a Kaiser, and we do a lateral, a triplanar lateral bound series where she can go all three or all multiple directions. So sagittal, frontal, and transverse. And reorganize and gather. Maybe I eccentrically overload her by taking her away and having her going forward. Maybe I concentrically overload her by going away from the Kaiser. But it goes into this next setup of, do I even have a Kaiser in the first place? Am I going to try to replicate that with a band? And that band is maybe potentially a high probability of snapping. Or maybe it's just not good enough resistance. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just sitting there saying, like, eventually these conversations are going to be had. The willingness to have it is based off of your open-mindedness and your capability to do something about it. Your confidence to say, hey, I don't really know a lot about that. So I'm either going to learn more or I'm going to be completely open and honest saying, can I work with the athlete to have them be autonomous in the situation? Maybe it's, can we get some more resources to buy equipment to support this? Maybe it's, hey, I want to get out in front of this and I want to have a holistic program that complements preseason or pre-preseason going into this like July with football or September with basketball type of period and saying, Let's have a weight room that allows us to do the things that our coaches really want us to do in preparation for the season. Maybe I just intersperse that with my weight room stuff all the time. But on the other end, I get to end season, and if all I have is these specialization exercises at my disposal, and it gets down to it of like they're doing a lot of that in practice and games, and we have a lot of freshmen that aren't getting minutes, not because they're not skilled enough, just because they're not strong enough. And I don't have any racks or have anything to accommodate improving force development, then I'm going to sit there and go, I screwed up my weight room design. And again, it goes into this 
setup. Like, if it's just a bunch of basketball, weighted basketballs and things like that, and all you do is like, all you need to do is this, and you don't need to do any strength training, what a push cups a shove. You're going to be typecasted as well. That the rest of the strength conditioning coach is looking at you like, I don't respect you. I don't, I don't value your opinion. You're a basketball coach masquerading as a strength coach. And if you're out there listening to this and you have that weight room and you're taking offense to this, stop, pause, look at your weight room. What is that saying to the person who walks in there? Is it saying what you want it to say? Did you have a hand in developing that or organizing that weight room? And if it doesn't allow you to do the job that you're supposed to do, whether it's general or specific, I think you need to evaluate what you need to add or what you need to subtract. And I think if you look at when you're developing athletes and you're seeing a recurrent problem, you're seeing this consistency in either injuries or limitation in skills or underdeveloped qualities like force velocity or work, go right to your tools at your disposal and then go right back up to your philosophy and ethos and training. And you can start to evaluate what is specificity, relatively speaking, to what is my bias or my preference or even my agenda. That is the reality of all of our situations. If you were going to come to one of my weight rooms that you see I designed, and I was going to tell you, and I have to have this conversation with any professional athlete I work with, two things. From a scheduling perspective, a lot of limitations. We work with Gen Pop. They're year-round. Your guest. Can you go at these times? No? Probably not going to be a good fit. I don't care if you're an all-pro MVP. It doesn't matter. I can't accommodate you for one week out of the year when I have customers fit two weeks out of the year. Secondly, is I'm making the program based off of what they need. Two parts. Having a great ability to move through a full range of motion without pain or discomfort. And generating either high force at a very efficient manner with some sort of potentially aesthetic outcome. And that's just being real. They want to look better and not feel like crap. If you're going to push anyone against the wall, like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? They're going to scream, I just don't want to look, I just don't want to feel like crap and I want to look better. They might have some sort of arbitrary goal, like to be stronger, like to do a pull-up, like to bench more, like to squat more. But it's all based off the other fundamental aspect of like, I need to look better and I need to not feel like crap. Great, I got a program for you. I got something I can absolutely do for you. So I designed my weight room off of that. I designed it doing compound closed kinetic chain exercises. So racks, bars, dumbbells, kettlebells, med balls, feet on the ground, multiple joints at a time, go to work. Knowing how to leverage tension and position and range of motion to get what I want. So a wide receiver from the NFL calls me and saying, I really want to do my program exclusively here. Okay, here's where I'm going to come up short for you. I have no space to run. I have no, nothing to do in regards to how can I facilitate the probably 60 to 70% of what you should be doing in your programming. I don't have any treadmills. I don't have any open turf. 
I don't have anything like that because that's not our that's not my goal is a, is a building out my philosophy for our program. I build our weight room to facilitate the needs of the athletes I'm primarily working with. And when I look at a football weight room, when I look at a basketball weight room, when I look at an Olympic sport weight room, I look at my my commercial gym. And it's hysterical when people walk in like, hey, can we just do open gym? Like, how would you use this room? It's not designed for you. What are you going to do? How are you going to use this? And you're going to ask, where's this? Where's that? What's, how do I do this? You know, you know, probably not the best place for you because it wasn't designed for that. It wasn't designed for that person, regardless of your education or what you think you know, to come in and just basically just start doing your own thing. And I don't want to take the time to explain to you because it wasn't my, it's not my job. But on the other end, with athletes and looking at them saying, hey, I got to talk to your trainer and go through what we don't have. Or, hey, you want me to train you? I got to be upfront with you. I can't do these things. And then when I have a weight room with football, if I have, if I ever get a football job again, and I have the opportunity to design the weight room, it's going to look a lot different than when I would design it for my Gen Pop. Just is what it is. If I ever have basketball again, I'm going to design it a lot different than I would for football. And the same thing goes through all sports. Baseball. I mean, shoot, you look at the logistics of this too. And this is something important to consider. You know, like, and this gets into a really good discussion on machines versus free weight. Free weight's pretty nice because it's essentially infinite. There's an infinite number of possibilities you can do. You can do push, pull, hinge, and squat <coughs> with any variation you want. And then as well as you can do any very any variety of sets, reps, tempo, and rest at certain intensities. I seemingly can go on forever and ever. The only thing that's limiting there is imagination. But there's some shortcomings. I can't isolate a muscle group. I can't target a, a joint as directly as I would if I had a machine. So then I look at it from the other level of maybe some athletes with poorly developed movement patterns that we need to develop tissue in that area. Because the bigger thing is cross-sectional muscle area, not necessarily these these general motor patterns that we need to add muscle mass because there's incredible skill yet the lack of physical capacity to handle load and to a degree they need to develop that pattern but that pattern is not moving the needle to improving cross-sectional muscle area because it's such a poorly developed pattern and they have so much other stuff going on or maybe it's a return to play situation and we need a selectorized machine to help them facilitate that return more efficiently to give them more freedoms to be able to do more functional activities. But again, if I have a football program that's gonna look different than a basketball program, just from the optics of their needs on a court or the field are different, but the size of the groups are massively different. So if I see a football weight room with 30 racks and minimal machines, I, I know why, I get it. It's the most economical way to get the job done. If I go to a basketball weight room and see one rack and several machines, I get it. I get it. I absolutely understand why. 
a lot of these patterns are hard to develop with seven feet tall people. But the other part too is they're always playing. And the other part, and this is really critical, is you can get small group. You go one-on-one. You can do that. I can't do that in football. There's a hundred of them and one of me. Maybe five of us on a good end. So as you start to develop your weight room and you start to develop your ethos and philosophy, there's going to be some logistical concerns as well. The size of the group, amount of coaches. What is actually what is actually the most efficient use of your space? Your philosophy, and I was looking at all the way down to what your weight room looks like. I have to ask the fundamental question of, is this something this person just arbitrarily believes or is this something they legitimately want to be able to provide more value? And it's always going to hit this critical threshold of that sports coach, that athlete is going to want it more specific to the things they're doing on the field. You always have your diehards, your champions of everything you're doing. They really preach the choir of like this coach knows how to get the job done in the weight room. But the higher you go up and the more the more is at stake, the more people feel pressure to do things that are more specific related to the activity that they're doing. And it's more of it's more of an important note to make that connection to those things that they need to be doing in order for them to feel confident in the plan and see that carryover. Coaches, athletes, even trainers, everyone alike needs to have that connectedness to what they're doing on the field or the court. The more, it gets even more intense as they reach these more isolated sports, like Olympic sports, like golf, tennis, baseball in some degree, uh, track and field. Anything where they're pretty much on their own out there at one individual thing, they're going to feel a lot stronger urge to do more specific activities. And you've got to meet them there. You can't just arbitrarily say, that's not my job. It's not what I'm supposed to do. I have no way. I have no, it's not my, I don't care about that. You won't have that ability. You're going to have to get out there to a TPI, go to driveline. You're going to have to go out there and do these things and have an appreciation for not only their functional demands, but what their psycho- psychologically demands of you. They are wired, wired to think about how is this going to improve my swing or throw or running action. That's all they care about because it's all they got to do. Are you going to make them more resilient through your general program? Yes. But are you going to make them better specifically on their mechanics they need to have in their sport? And I'm not sitting there saying you get a PhD and be able to coach golf. What I am saying is that eventually, and eventually you're going to have to meet this, is they're going to want how, they're going to want some direct connection to how it's going to improve their swing. So I'm going to pause right there because I think there's a lot to be talked about within the case study, as well as got Joey G talking about sports-specific work with football, as well as general. There's a lot to dive into still, but I think it's a pretty good note to start. What your weight room looks like, what your philosophy is, what your shortcomings are and what you're what you can accentuate all has to be scaled and relatively evaluated to your general contribution or your specific contribution so i hope you guys enjoyed this i appreciate you guys this one's fun for me i love talking about weight design it's a really big specialty of mine um and i'm going to be talking a lot about that here in the future with some upcoming projects so excited about this one appreciate you guys and we'll see you guys next week